0: This is Mind the Gap, brought to you by Calgary First Church of the Nazarene. We welcome you into a deeper discussion about current issues that divide us. After the episode, go to firstnaz.ca slash podcast to continue the conversation. Now, let's step off the pulpit and into the pews. I'm joined here with Pastor Brian Roller again and Swal Ranasinghe. Uh, today we're gonna to be talking about media. So do you find that you have to be quite intentional in, in how you consume media?
1: Yeah, I'll jump in first, I guess this time, but I, you know, for me, I, I am quite intentional about it. Although again, my, I think my engagement with all these different sources of media, I don't think I'm nearly um, as deliberative as Shamal is, and I'm not as aware of what those are and probably don't really know a whole lot about them. But when I do engage, uh, I do think my critical thinking cap is on all the time. And so even for instance, um, although I'm not a fan of certain political figures in the world, you know, but I am not a fan. If I, if I'm watching a news source who says something uh, critical against that particular figure, public figure that I don't, like and don't appreciate but i think if i think that they're being if they're not being even-handed i'll I'll usually like i'll remark to colleen i'll say "Mm, i don't think that's fair and i think uh that they're not being objective and so for me is i'm just very very careful about i don't quickly accept just what i'm hearing i take it in and I'll reflect upon it. And if I'm really interested, I'll go and do some further research on it. But I, I don't just, I could tell you right now, I don't just uncritically accept it. And so the other day I was watching CNN uh, online. It was It's just its the CNN newsfeed, right? And it had one of the um, stories had something to do with misinformation coming out of the Biden camp. I forget what it was concerning. One of you might know. But here it is. It was CNN.com. Talking about misinformation or disinformation coming out of the Biden camp. Now you would expect to hear that coming out of the Trump camp. Coming, you know, but it wasn't, it was about Biden. And so I thought, well, that that was interesting to me that if they're gonna fact check, they're not just fact-checking the conservatives, you know, or the Republicans, they're fact-checking the Democrats too. And so I was pleased with that.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I think it's interesting that we're like our, our assumption is that a news media outlet has to be a certain bias like we know what we're going to expect from this camp and what we're going to ex- expect from this and and that seems that seems odd to me we would expect that so like mm-hmm. you know you know what can we actually trust is there is there an, a media outlet out there that is not biased
2: yeah i mean if, if i can jump in just I think the question of bias, but also Brian's point about not just critically accepting what is being told, that's that's an important piece to keep in mind, I think, is that everybody has, like all of us as individuals, have ways, have different sort of lenses, in the, so the way we, we approach the way we see the world, like we interpret it through different lenses, which are shaped by sort of a, a myriad of different factors, like the, the experiences we've had, uh, upbringing, places we've lived, you know, uh, things that we've absorbed, education and so on. Right. And so we all sort of have different ways of looking at things. And I mean, we see this in the Bible as well. Right. Where uh, you can see some of the authors of, of, the, of, the, of the gospels, like, for example, like Matthew, Mark and Luke, John, uh, all come from very different places you know uh and, and they all sort of have different goals as well when they're writing their gospels because they're trying to communicate to different audiences right and they have a different just some sort of a like he, here's what i want to convince you of so there's a the sort of a different thesis that they're trying to communicate right so for example you know uh, you might have Matthew kind of speaking to a more Jewish audience trying to trying to convince yes. them about Jesus being sort of the sure. son of God. Uh, and so there's a very specific way that he has ordered events in order to tell a very specific story because he wants to convince people of something. And so when it comes to, to sort of news media and just media in general as well, is that I don't think that it's necessarily accurate to a, think of facts as uh, kind of just existing kind of in a void. And what the perfect news source has to do is kind of just pull those facts uh, and just throw them at you, because that doesn't really make much sense if they're just kind of decontextualized, kind of facts being flung at you. Right? Right. And so, right. just like the writers of the Gospels as well, like uh, any any kind of media source or any kind of person who's who's trying to communicate something, they there's always a way of like arranging facts in a certain way. The way you sort of shine a light on the fact it could be you know different the angle could be different right. depending on what sort of story you want to communicate and the, and right. the kind of lens that you're bringing to it as well and it's not so, that one's
1: right and one's wrong uh,
2: yeah i mean i mean that could be that could be i i mean there there is and this is where we kind of get in the question of like well what 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 are they trying to what are they or like what are they trying to communicate because i mean there could be ways of kind of taking facts and then kind of flipping them upside down or like twisting them in order to to fit certain agendas a lot more tightly than others um, and so there could be I think more or less kind of a correspondence to 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 reality which is sometimes where you see where you have sort of a a very sort of narrow agenda of like this is my this is the story I want to tell and if, if, if the story is like really narrow and very focused uh it's almost this case of like you know every like i come in with a hammer and so everything i see is a nail and so i need to pound everything with the same ha- ha- same hammer kind of thing uh, and so i think there there are ways in which you can twist and and like distort sure. facts in you know, order to fit a certain sure. very narrow agenda okay. but all that to say that i i think getting to the question of bias i always kind of engage with media with the idea that everybody has a bias mm-hmm. uh and and b- by bias somebody really sort of talk about so that idea more of other lens, right, like a different way of kind of coming to it. And so a question that I would always kind of ask, and this is sort of a a fundamental question that we always ask in communication as well, right, because I mean, media is communication, like they're trying to communicate something. Uh, And so uh, sort of a, a prime question in communication is, you know, as a result of me communicating this, what do I want people to do as a result of having engaged with it? That's always a question we ask ourselves mm-hmm. before we figure out how or what to communicate mm-hmm. is what what kind of action do we want the folks mm-hmm. who engage with this piece mm-hmm. of whatever we put out there to take. And so I think that's an important question to often ask ourselves when we do engage with media as well as like, what, what do these folks who are who are communicating these things to us, like, what do they want us like, Can we get a sense of what they want us to do as a result of them having communicated this to us? Uh, I, Cause I think that can often tell you quite a bit about, you know, where they're coming from. And then you also sort of need to, so, so secondly, kind of once you've kind of asked that question and engaged with it is, is trying to get a sense of, okay, what story is being told because there's often like a, like obvious story that's being, that's being communicated, but there's often like a subtext as well. Right. And the subtext is tied into kind of that, mm-hmm. what do they want me to do as a result of having heard this kind of first mm-hmm. question. Uh, and thirdly in today's, media landscape as well. And, and I think increasingly so. This has been the case over the last you know 60 60 to 70 years since we've been moving steadily away from print media to, to more digital media is this idea of attention as well, right? Because uh in in, in North America in particular where or in the West where like our, our news media is and just a lot of the inf- information or like entertainment media, everything out there is is for profit. And so our attention is, is a premium, is a sort of an increasingly becoming sort of a premium and yeah. becoming sort of the scarce resource that folks are trying to tap into, like eyeballs of what uh, media sources are trying to get at ultimately. Yeah. And so the more eyeballs they can get, the more, more chance of being more profitable, right? So instead of that profit-driven media model, uh, you really have to keep in mind that when you're engaging with something, that, the, the, that there is like a, a motive behind it and that they want to yeah. get your attention. And that can often obviously cause like a certain skew or a certain bent towards yep. the way yep. that things are presented and how they're yep. presented. Right?
1: It's interesting about that because, so I came across some stuff in my reading in preparation for this podcast. And, and that is that in the age of fake news, <laughs> publishers are more interested in circulation and profits than in truth. And so, you know, if you're outrageous, you're going to get more viewers uh, somebody like a Sean Hannity or a a Rush Limbaugh or an Alex Jones the more outrageous you are uh, like the tv talk shows back in the day especially in the 1980s you know uh, Oprah had one of the more decent shows out there but there was guys like Phil what was his name um yeah but anyway yeah yeah, but there was Maury yeah Maury and then there was the guy that where they were they would throw chairs at each other and stuff like that and and actually fight and, and have a slugfest uh, what was that? that hockey show night, called?
2: hockey night in Canada. Was it?
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hockey night in Canada. But anyway, Jerry Springer, the Jerry Springer wow. show. You know, but the fact is, people love that. It's like it's like uh, a car crash. You know what I mean? Like people. So if it's really really outrageous, um, you know, uh, you're going to have a larger audience, uh, greater profits, that sort of thing. But you know, in terms of are they disseminators of of fact or truth? And I I agree with Shamal, everybody's biased. There's nobody without bias, but being biased doesn't mean fake. And I think that's, I really, really think that's confused right now. People go, okay, because, uh, you know, because they have a liberal bias, they're fake, or because they have a conservative bias, they're fake. Well, that doesn't mean they're fake. They, they have a bias. And I think you can be honest about your bias and say, you know, I am biased in this direction, you know, but I'm trying to give you the straight goods here, but this is my bias. Um, I like the fact that, you know, Ben Shapiro on his show, uh, he'll have uh, an atheist like Sam Harris on his show. He'll get a guy like Jordan Peterson on his show. He'll have, uh, Christians that he's not a Christian. Right. Uh, but but he'll have people like that who have a different point of view. I like that. And I like the fact that you know they're engaging each other, and now you get a chance to examine these two people who are coming from different different perspectives, and you get a chance to evaluate it yourself. You get to weigh it. Um, so I'm interested in those kind of things, and I do watch that kind of stuff. So I'll go on to YouTube and I'll even just watch a debate between a theist and an atheist, you know. Because uh, I think there's something that could be learned. Brian, what's your take on fake news? You know, there are people, and I think maybe for the sake of ratings and stuff, that they are circulating disinformation. You know, so it could be about the the U.S. election in 2020 and that the election was stolen. And then you you have, and I have watched, and I'm sure you guys have seen, there are these people who are the purveyors of this narrative that it was a stolen election Um, and a lot of just fraudulent stuff that was going on. And people just who want to believe that will just accept it uncritically, you know, and that's really concerning to me. And then using, uh, using terms and phrases like fake news, you know, just because I don't agree with it I'm going to call it fake. As soon as I don't agree with an opinion, I just immediately call it fake. Um I think there's just something wrong with that and I feel like um you know that's what we have to try to help people with and I don't know if we could do that tonight but I feel like how do we help people to know where they can go? Because I don't I don't know like Shamal I'd ask you like is there like is it a matter of just going to particular sources of information or is it a matter of going to many sources of information and then analyzing those and, and then coming away with your own point of view on it?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's one of the interesting things about the age we live in, right? Because it's it, it's like with, with, the, with the internet and with the movement of uh, sort of the, what we call the knowledge economy and so on, uh, it's like, data and knowledge is available it's like drinking from a fire hose like everything is just there uh on your fingertips right like like with a without little with these like with these phones like these phones have more computing power and more sort of knowledge uh data processing capacity than like the the spaceships that flew all the computers yes. all this all the computers that operated the spaceships incredible isn't it yeah. Right. you know yeah Neil Armstrong to the moon right and so like there's so much power at our fingertips in terms of data processing and and like digital knowledge engagement so it's so it's almost not a a question anymore of you know like finding the finding the information or finding knowledge but it's more about how you engage with the knowledge and how you critically okay how you critically sort of assemble a, a, a framework that. So it isn't just
1: going, going to the right sources. It's how you engage whatever sources you ha- have. No, exa-
2: exactly, exactly, right. No, exactly, because I mean, I mean, you mentioned some of those those shows from the eighties. Yeah. And the thing is, talk shows still exist today, mm-hmm. but like the way they're conducted has 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 morphed and changed as well right because they mm-hmm. they tend to be much faster paced and this tends to be like quick cuts here and there yeah. and the, yeah. you, you often don't get like deep dives into to into a topic like you'll just get like uh, you know like a quick move from here and there and mm-hmm. so on which you know interestingly like I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with with marshall mcluhan's some, some yep. of the work that he he's yep. done you know this idea of hot hot and cold yeah communication right uh and so hot being the more sort of sources that tend to give you sort of a deep full kind of picture of things uh but that don't necessarily fully invite you to to complete the information so like radio and and sort of his in his sort of framework uh, his construction was that you know like hot media, uh, hot, hot communication types, like like print and and radio tend to sort of give you like a full kind of a picture, and, and you just kind of listen and absorb. Whereas the cooler types of of, of information sources are that sort of invite participation, well, and Im- immersing yourself into the picture, right?
1: Yeah, but and it's interesting because like the hot communication is 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 the one that's more pervasive, deeper. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, I, I always get them confused. And cool communication would be something that's more like visual in mm-hmm. nature. And okay.
2: Like, like television. And,
1: yeah. Yeah, because it's interesting because in the church, they were saying this is what people want now. So the church needs to go in that direction. So what we need to do is entertain people, give them sound bites. Don't get don't go too deep. Just give them sound bites because that's what people want.
2: No, I mean totally. I mean this is this was his kind of commentary of like. I was almost more of like a like a typology, like saying here's what it is, and then uh, a book that I highly recommend if no one has if, if none of you guys have read it is was written by Neil Postman, who was a media philosopher, and where well, this one's called "Amusing Ourselves to Death." Yeah. Uh, he sort of takes a lot of McLuhan's ideas uh, from the 50s and 60s, and he kind of extends them beyond. Uh, and, and even though this book was written in the 70s, it, it honestly could have been written like yesterday mm-hmm. uh, in, in sort of his, his commentary and kind of what's going on uh, and some of the predictions as, as well as to some of the dangers of where um, our culture could end up in terms of its engagement with, with media yeah. at that point in time, in yeah. moving from the more hot forms of media to the more cold types so the more kind of visual uh immersive forms of media and he was he was primarily talking about television back then but i mean social media and the internet has just sort of accelerated that trend really uh towards this um on one hand like the framing of of information as entertainment so you can call it as like infotainment or edutainment Mm -hmm. um and and that's 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 a lot of what you see right like you have to make something entertaining in order to get people's attention right now right um yes uh, and that is both a function of the fact that the market is being flooded with all, is 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 so sort of saturated with all this content so yeah. people's attention is sort of becoming a premium so you know to get yeah. the attention you sort of start going down this rabbit hole of like becoming more and more and more sort of entertainment focused and try to get like like how much how much um, attention can you grab in as short a shorter time span as possible uh and he actually he, for example he looks at some of the speeches that uh abraham lincoln gave uh and some of the debates that uh that he engaged with you know back in the in like the, the 1800s and the, the 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 one like one speech would often go for like an hour to an hour and a half and then he's responded would speak for another hour in response to that um and, and it would just go like that and 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 the point that that would just not fly today right like i mean you have to uh i mean there's actually research done recently that shows that if you don't as a speaker or like a presenter if you don't get your you have you have seven seconds to get your audience's attention and if you don't get their attention in 7 seconds you've pretty much lost them uh for the rest of your presentation right so it, it sort of become this kind of almost like arms race towards like like it's like a um attention arms race right like like who can, who can, who can be more outrageous who can be more entertaining who can be more attention grabbing in order to you know hold on to things and then uh Neil Postman also talks about this thing called pseudo events uh, which you talked about in the seventies and actually there was a recent book written, uh, called pseudo events, a guide to, all oh, a guide to site pseudo events in America, kind of talking about a lot of what we see in, in, in North America and in, in sort of the, the, the news being a speaking is a lot of like manufactured content in order to just, just for the sake of, of holding people's attention. Mm. Um, like it mm. isn't something that necessarily has deep, um, meaning or has any content has any sort of actual impact on outcomes at the end of the day
1: entertainment.
2: It is just entertainment at the end of the day, right? And so, I mean, we see that a lot with politics, right? Uh, we see it all over. We see it in Canada, see it in the states, but it's worse in the states than here. But it's still there, which is sort of the whole framing of of of, of politics as like a like horse race, like like elections become like a horse race of like who's winning, who's 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 closer. Oh, he's you know he's you know yeah. he's losing, and it's like this like minute to minute analysis. And yeah, I mean, and yeah. you, you can right. kind of kind of go back to. Uh, the splitting of 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 sort of like the movement from print to digital, but also the sort of the splitting of the of the, of the media landscape, right? Because forty years ago, you sort of had four or five major media yeah. sources, and that was it. That's major right. Well, you had
1: the networks, like in the U.S., you had NBC, CBS, ABC, right? Is that what you mean?
2: Yeah, and I mean, TV. and here you had you had CBC, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 and CTV, don't forget and CTV. CTV,
2: and but but I mean, but, since then, there's been a fracturing of of the media scape as of well. Of course.
1: Well, it's interesting because I just, I actually came across this today and they said uh, uh, that fake news has existed for hundreds of years. Uh, It started primarily with Gutenberg uh, with the printing press. So people took advantage advantage of it, right? But they said uh, uh, objective news, objective news became popular around the 1900s. Uh, Adolph Oaks, do you know that name? But anyway, OCHS, uh, he purchased the New York Times. In the early 1900s, in, in an era when newspapers, the mass media of the time, were filled with political disinformation, corporate publicity, and yellow journalism, Oaks believed a fact-based newspaper would be profitable. The New York Times subsequently developed the nation's largest circulation base while winning more than 125 Pulitzer Prizes. Publishing, what they call Objective News, said by the 1920s, Journalism associations had adopted formal codes requiring objectivity in reporting, independence from government and business, and a strict distinction between news and opinions, which is interesting in today's age. So this idea that, you know, if you look at Fox News, you know, Donald Trump would call in regularly and you'd you'd just go, well, Fox News was almost like seemed to be like a servant of, of the Republican party and, uh, and possibly of the president himself. And so that 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 sort of um, arm's length relationship was, was lost. The idea of the distinction between news and opinion. I mean, the fact is a guy people like Sean Hannity or Ann Coulter or people like that, they make no apology that they're giving opinions. Bill Maher makes no apology, right? They're telling it these are opinions. Um, It's not news. And um, I think people are hearing those opinions and they take them as news. They receive them as gospel because they just really love the hosts of of, of those shows. And uh, they had here, and this isn't that long ago, you guys, uh, uh, examples of journalistic integrity in the past. So we're going back say 50, 60 years where Edward R. Murrow, Ernie Pyle, Andy Rooney, Um, uh, Rooney, uh, Rooney—they—they—they did battlefield reports during the Second World War. A tradition that was continued by Dan Rather, Morley Safer, and so on. Walter Conkrite was known—a CBS news anchor was known as the most trusted man in America, which is interesting. And that was in 1972. Well, you don't hear that now. You know that kind of language being 60 Minutes. Uh, CBS, uh, debuted in 1968, been on the air for 50 seasons and is known um, for its hard-hitting exposés of corporate and government abuse and fraud and so on. So we've kind of seem to have lost that in some ways. I mean, those still exist though, right? I, I think 60 Minutes is still going, but it just seems that we've lost that objectivity. And, um, you know, so I'm really concerned about uh, for Christians who are very, very quick to use the word fake news of anything they don't agree with, because it's like, like some of the things that have contributed to, I think the increase in claims of fake news are, you know, like you said, television itself, uh, the growth of social media, uh, confirmation bias, You know, where people are seeking out news sources and they're seeking out, um, ideas and opinions that, that confirm what they already believe. And that's, what's happening. And of course, uh, social media sites like Facebook reinforce that. Right. Um, so, you know, it just keeps reinforcing our biases that we already have. And that gets us nowhere. You know, it, and, which, and what it does is this causes increasing polarization. So people move further to the right, they move further to the left.
0: Now, moving on to uh, what we're seeing in the church. Brian, what is your concern specifically with how Christians engage with media?
1: And so I'm just really concerned from a Christian perspective and where the Bible engages that, because I, I feel like for a lot of Christians today, uh, and I thought about conservative evangelical Christians is that our default position when it comes to authority structures in our world, be it politicians, uh, or news, uh, media and that sort of thing is that we come from a position of mistrust. Um, that's our default is I don't trust authority. I don't trust the government. I don't trust the medical community when they talk about vaccines and the coronavirus, we, and masks and social distancing. We just basically, we don't trust because everybody is lying and it's all fake out there, except for those few sources that I really trust. And, um, and much of which might be spurious. Right. So I think that, That's really where my concern is, is that I think from a Christian perspective, um, you know, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, and I won't get the context for sake of time, but he said, do not judge anything before the appointed time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light that which is hidden in darkness and will reveal the motives of men's hearts. And he said, but he says, reserve a strong opinion. Don't be so quick to stand in judgment um, and form quick conclusions on things. Don't jump to conclusions because you don't have all the facts. You don't have all the data that you need. So be more humble about, you know, your opinions that are formed and be more circumspect about what it is you're watching and listening to um, and be more critical in your thinking. But I think that my concern for the, ch- the church and for the Christians is I think we've really come to a place where there's a lot of um, wagging of the finger, you know, uh, and, and, and accusation. There's a lot of accusation. There's a lot of like Pizzagate that happened. That was a fake news thing, you know, where somebody went and shot people because they thought that this pizza restaurant was harboring these children, I guess, you know, who were being trafficked or abused in some way and not a true story, but why is it though that so many Christians believe this, you know, QAnon conspiracies and stuff like that? Because, and I think, why are we so quick to jump on that bandwagon of accusation when the Bible tells us, do not judge, do not be so quick to judge. If you're going to judge, judge yourself. Like that really concerns me. It really concerns me that we're so quick to pile on and be quick to condemn uh and you know what we shouldn't condemn one another in our local church and our families and our friends but we shouldn't condemn people in 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 places uh high places of politics either we shouldn't be quite so quick to condemn so anyway that's where my concern lies and i think the bible has a lot to say about that
2: yeah and i think the it's almost it's funny because i was i was um I was telling uh, Carolyn this recently, and you know, I was, I was struck by, you know, there's this phrase talking about Catholic guilt, uh, and how people who've been sort of raised Catholic traditionally sort of have there's a lot of sort of guilt associated with with sort of some of the ecclesiology and, and then sort of the practice of uh, of Catholicism uh, for whatever reasons. And so even people who don't necessarily uh, don't practice fully, but there's always this sense of like guilt that I'm I'm, I'm doing something wrong because that seems to be one of the drivers. And uh, the corollary that I have observed in my lifetime of growing up in the the evangelical church, really, is is fear. Like fear seems to be one of the biggest drivers (laughs) for evangelicalism. Uh, And that was cemented by, uh, I read Mm. this um, historian's book recently. It was called The Evangelical Road to Trump by, uh, he's a Christian historian, evangelical Mm. historian himself, John Fear is his name. Uh, Mm. And he spends a good couple of chapters kind of tracing the use of fear. Uh, amongst uh, going all the way back to sort of the Puritans uh, and the first kind of pilgrims who came over from the Mayflower land uh, landed in the States and how um, fear has sort of, sort of been a constant kind of driving factor that kind of underlies the practice of, of evangelicalism. Uh, there's always a sense of like in-groups and out-groups and, and here the people they need to be afraid
1: of so like fear of people in government fear of, of yeah i mean uh, the, the illuminati fear of the deep state that kind of thing
2: fear of people but also like this fear of like um uh you know if you do the wrong thing like like this uh, there's this really this the sense of uh, this very like moralistic kind of um anthropology or sort of like approach to to sort of living out christianity like it's a sort of like if you don't like if you're, if you're not good enough that you're going to end up in hell <laughs> I idea, right oh, so you know you know be a, be very afraid of hell uh, oh, okay. and, and hell as in like you know eternal conscious torment hell yes exactly. um and um it, it's funny because i think like fear is is a very natural human instinct like it is sort of high, hardwired into us to be uh mm-hmm. to have this sense of like safety to fear you know concern for safety uh you know on like maslow's hierarchy of needs like safety and security needs are like the basic yeah. uh, sort of like the most basic need of, of human beings right uh, and if those are not met then it's kind of hard to move up to other right. levels of of, 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 yeah. of, of of sort of development right. and so it's so i think like we are hardwired to be to, to be attuned to sort of threats in our environment.
1: So it's interesting. Uh, you, would you say though that somebody like this guy was saying about Donald Trump? Did he did he uh, play like like a demagogue? Right? Was was, was was he playing to people's fears then?
2: Oh no, he's very good at very good at like playing to people's fears, right. uh, and and saying you know over and over again like these are the like identifying explicitly or implicitly. Uh, here are all the people. On one hand, it's like here are all the people and here are all the things. Factors, not just people, but also things you need to be afraid of. Um, And then on the other hand, and I am able to provide all the answers, you know, like only I mean, he actually said it, right? Only I can, you know, correct these wrongs or whatever. I can't remember the exact wording of what he said, but uh, and that is often the sense of uh, like. I mean, if, if, you've, if you sort of look at the patterns of like any dictator or demagogue in many ways, it's like uh, they often rise up in times of, of turmoil when there's a lot of sort of societal right. turmoil going on right. uh, and a lot of uncertainty. And we're sort of at that point, right? I mean, we have been at that point where we, uh, in, as, as a society, sort of 9-11 was kind of the triggering point uh, in the last couple mm, of decades in mm-hmm. North America where our sense of who we are as a society was was really shaken and a sense of safety and security was shaken. And then since then it's sort of been a downward spiral. We've okay. had multiple economic crises uh, and, 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 and trust in institutions that really anchored society. Right. Uh, I mean, and church as an institution has been losing trust c- c- like steadily over the last few decades, sure. but all of the institutions have also been uh, all sort of in the same yes. boat, right? So sort of this like toxic mix of like we don't trust any of the institutions that they've existed to sort of like order society we also don't we're increasingly trusting our our neighbors less and less we're Mm -hmm. increasingly fearful of of where things are going to be going tomorrow. We're fearful, we're losing a sense of control or sense of efficacy yeah. of where things are going. Uh, and so it, it is sort of natural, but but then kind of coming at it from as a Christian, you know, we are called to be to rise above all of that, right? Yeah. And, and the reason we can rise above that is because of it's it's not just like it's an act of will of saying, well, I just need to be less fearful. No, it is because of what it is because of what Jesus has done, right? And God's
1: sovereignty. Yeah. I mean, and, really yeah and, and i
0: mean I, I i contrast that with what jesus like he tells us not to fear right and right. he he says these things are going to happen to you but don't fear mm-hmm. whereas you know mm-hmm. there are leaders out there who, who would say you know these um mm-hmm. trust me because i will make these these things that you fear disappear right which is right. a completely different
1: paradigm it is and i yeah, I, sorry, I was going to say, though, too, that I, I think like I was looking at James here. Anyway, he's got he talks about the tongue in James chapter three. And so what's interesting is fear, um, I think, produces hate because, you know, you, you're, you're afraid of the other. So xenophobia, we're afraid of the stranger. We're afraid of people who are not like us. We're afraid of what we don't understand. Uh, it's easy to fear people who are far away who might come here. And hurt us, but that that leads to you know hatred and genocide and all that kind of stuff. But he's got here about the tongue, and here's what I'm concerned about because I have see, you guys have seen this. There's people Christians who post things on Facebook or maybe make tweets that I think are very unkind. Uh, even in the Church of the Nazarene, one of the things in our article, not in our Articles of Faith, but in the uh, the Covenant of Christian Character, it actually says to be courteous to all people. And I think, why is it then that we allow ourselves to be discourteous and to curse people? So people think, well, cursing is using profanity. That's not, what, that's not the fundamental meaning of t- to curse, Is not using profanity. It's when we, when we uh, wish ill will uh, on other people and we speak ill of other people. And so I think when people say things like, and, and again, I'm not a big fan of Hillary Clinton either. Uh, and I'm not a big fan of, of Donald Trump either, but the fact is when people mock them and say things about them that are egregiously untrue and on either side of that, I think that for Christians to do that and just to pile on. And so when people say that, you know, Hillary Clinton is involved in some child trafficking ring, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff, I think that's wrong for Christians. To jump in, that I think it's wrong, and I think it's a sin. I think it's a sin before God. Uh, he talks about the tongue in James chapter three, and he says, "With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men, we curse people." And he says, "Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. This should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring?" And then he says, "Who is wise and understanding? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility. Humility." It comes from wisdom, Um, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it. Think about that. Bitter envy, selfish ambition, don't boast about it um, or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice and they, later on he says peacemakers who sow in peace raise the harvest of righteousness. I'm feeling like Christians need to be reminded th- that there's a better way for us. And using terms like fake news, I think it's wrong. I'm actually to the place where I think it is wrong for us to use it say I think I, could, I think it's fair to say I think that we rep- that report was overly biased. I think it was unfair. And I think it's circulating misinformation and disinformation, but, um, just to use a term like fake, 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 you know, that's not useful. And I don't think it's the spirit of Jesus. I really don't. And I think we've got to, we've got to find a way to to help people to do better than that.
0: Like we did in the first episode, let's enter into a modified version of the ancient practice of examining. This is an opportunity to take a step back from our busy schedules and let God breathe on us. If you don't want to take part, feel free to skip forward three minutes to get back to the conversation. Think back through the events of your day, or previous day if it's morning for you. I will ask four questions and give you some time to reflect. Where have I felt true joy today? What has troubled or frustrated me today? Where did I hear you in the media? How have I encountered you in my interactions with others? If you need more time, feel free to hit pause and linger as long as you want to. When you're done, feel free to join me in this prayer. Lord, I bring the poverty of my soul to be transformed by your beauty, the wildness of my passions to be tamed by your love, the stubbornness of my will to be conformed by your commandments, and the yearnings of my heart to be renewed by your grace, both now and forevermore. Amen. One of the things that, that I think has come across in this discussion is that, you know, engaging with media, like it takes work and it is a lot easier to label something as fake. It is a lot easier to take someone's opinion as fact and espouse that as your own. Right. Right. And, but, but really that's the, like small set, like that's kind of the culture we're in now. Yeah. We're in this, you know, Twitter you, you, get these, you know, attention span, small attention span. And so, it's very difficult to, to engage
1: seriously and it takes a lot of time. So uh, how do we go about doing that? Well I've just got some this was just something I found today and some of it Shamal's already said. but just you know how to identify <laughs> fake news is what this was listed as you know how to spot it. but I think basically how to sort of um, I, I guess vet your sources, you know one is identify your biases, your own biases. And and admit that you are biased. So identify them. Number two, check the sources of your information. Check your sources. Uh, the, the third one was confirm that the info that you're getting is reported by multiple sources. So if your source, if you're getting that information that you've got, that recent information from one particular source and nobody else is saying that, yeah, you might want to be a little suspicious about that. Because uh, it's coming from some dark corner. But I remember in university, and you guys know this, when you did a paper, a term paper, a research paper, you had to have lots of citations. You had your bibliography. And if I just put a paper that just had yeah, I was talking to my friend the other day and they told me, you know, and, and it's all that, uh, that you're gonna get an F on your paper. Um, and so the idea was that, you know, you, you furnished multiple sources and reputable sources and, uh, and and that sort of thing. So I think that was one thing. Identify your biases, check the sources, find multiple sources. <laughs> when you're reading, go past the headline. A lot of people that I'm finding, and I've heard this, they'll say, I saw this story about the vaccines, and I'll say, okay. Uh, and then th- they're quoting the headline. They read the first paragraph. And we know people don't read all the way through our emails either, especially <laughs> if they're multiple paragraphs. So people read the first part. It comes back to what you were saying, Shamal, about the attention span. So I'll say, can you send that to me? And they'll send it. And I'll tell you, invariably, I will find out they didn't read the whole thing. Got it completely out of context. So one of the stories was about vaccines and about the AstraZeneca, whatever, it kills people and it causes blood clots. And it's been a proven fact that that the vaccine caused it. And I said, are you sure that they said they're just? I think they're probably saying it may have. Are you sure that no, it's they caused it? So I looked it up myself, I read it. The jury's out, was out. They're saying it, 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 there it, it, it might have been a pre existing condition, you know, whatever. But I think we have to repass the headline. Check the authors and their credentials that they know what they're talking about. Distinguish between news reporting and editorial opinion. Editorial opinion is one thing and we see a lot of that, like we mentioned Bill Maher, Sean Hannity, Ann Coulter, you know, all this kind of people and they're trying to get ratings, Rush Limbaugh, you know, whatever, they're trying to get ratings. But what about news reporting? Uh, I think BBC would be probably a little bit closer to that and um, use fact checkers (laughs) if you believe in that. But there's a lot of fact checkers out there. There's fact check, Snopes, uh, Washington Post has a fact checker, uh, fact, Open Secrets, and I haven't checked all those, but they said there's lots of places where you can fact check if you're really wanting to know. So there you go.
2: Yeah. And I think adding, adding to that as well, Brian, there's, there's a good, like very helpful list as well. Uh, I
1: didn't make it up. Kind of.
2: <laughs> sure. But, but I think like, even like expand, like extending out on the sort of the whole idea of like, um. Checking your sources and yeah. um, checking also who like the the like the like who is actually writing these, uh, and, and you sort of referenced you know papers that we would write in, in university and how we need to cite, and it wasn't just like citations right like we could just like cite my next door neighbor Bob told me this or I, I read this on Wikipedia even yeah. although Wikipedia is increasingly becoming more it's gotten accepted better. it is becoming more <laughs> accepted as a, as academic resource yeah. but it is sort of going to those sources that have gatekeepers. Uh, that have like quality control right. and have the sort of gatekeepers behind them yeah. uh, that isn't just um, you know anything kind of goes so in that sense uh, you know in terms of news media like it would be tend to be the more sort of legacy media outlets for sure because uh, they have a history of sort of the, the gatekeeping built into their structure I like they operate. so right. even though you might you might not like what you're seeing and you might not agree with what you're seeing often, because again, that kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier on about biases that everyone has biases, uh, and that there will be by nature of the fact that you're constructing a narrative here when you're when you're reporting, even when you when you are sort of factually telling news, like there still is a narrative that's being like that's being told here. You might not like it, but you still, as long as you're conscious conscious of the fact, that I think like you're still you're still getting something that is might not be perfect, but it is better than. A completely unvetted, completely unknown, right? A source that's, that's coming right. out of nowhere that has, right. you know, an obvious axe to grind. Here, at least you kind of have a sense of like, yep. you know, where these people are coming from. So that's one thing. Uh, and the second piece that I would also add to that is kind of the question of like these these articles that I'm reading, opinion pieces or whatever. Uh, what do they want me to do what's the sense that i get of like what kind of emotions are they trying to like what of right. emotional sense are they trying to right. uh, convey like if if it is like constant sense of like like i'm trying to get you outraged or i'm trying to cause fear a lot and this is a conversation i've had with other friends as well who tend to pay a lot of attention to like social media news uh and, and get really fearful because of all these like scary things that they're reading and i'm like you know what like as as a, as, a, as a christian like if 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 this source that's constantly causing you to be fearful even though they might they might claim to be christian a christian source or whatever if, if the subtext is be afraid be very very afraid then i would question as to whether that's actually from god right like yeah. is it something that is that's causing yeah. you all this undue panic and fear uh like that's not like is that really from god mm-hmm. uh and is so is that a source that you should be paying attention to uh, and I mean, if you if you insist on paying attention to it, maybe you just need to uh, right size it, right? You know, like That's treat right. it with sort of a grain of salt. Uh, like, don't don't take it as sort of
1: the. Well, you're being manipulated, possibly. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right,
2: yeah. So, I mean, in that sense, like, I, I purposefully, even though I I'm aware of what my personal preferences are in terms of you know, um, well, you know, policy and and politics and all those things, like I, I I'm aware of what I, I prefer, but I do. I do very intentionally engage with, with writers, with, with journalists and sources that uh, might not be what I would naturally gravitate towards. Uh, And I, and I do it because um, I think it's, it's good for me. Like it, it stretches you uh, in in a good way, but, but it also helps kind of build empathy uh, of like understanding where folks who I don't always agree with come come from. And I'm like, you know what? Uh, I've often had this where I'm like, I, I, I might not still agree with your, conclusions but i can see where they're coming from and i get why right. you are you can respect
1: you can still have respect for them respect and, you I, exactly
2: and, and some of the folks that, that, I, that i actually respect who i think are really sure. s- like have some really good things to say yeah. i don't i don't often agree with them but i I still i, th- I think their reasoning is quite solid though and, but i think there's where a where lack
1: of empathy is, and i yeah. think that's the part of the problem like when yeah. we when we make ad hominem attacks on people and start name calling and swearing at them and shouting at them you know shouting over people Mm -hmm. and stuff like there's a lack of empathy there it's like you don't matter and what you think doesn't matter and i don't even want you to give give voice to it you know and i think that's a real problem in our world so it's interesting shemal that so you think of a a jury so someone's on trial and in the minds of that jury at the beginning of that court case some of them have already formed a bias and they're, they're looking at the defendant and they're going, boy, he looks guilty. I'm sure he did it. I think he did it. I'm pretty sure he did it. You know, But what they're told to do, sometimes they're told to disregard some evidence, as you know, right? Uh, disregard that last statement, strike that from the record, but it's still in their mind. But what they need to do is they need to weigh the evidence that has been presented to them fairly and as objectively as possible, right? Um, and I feel like that sort of approach to truth, if Christians are about truth, and we're supposed to be, I mean, J- Apostle John, that's a huge thing, Like, especially like in 1 John and 2 John, and, you know, um, his, his two epistles there. But I think if, if we really believe in truth, um, then we shouldn't be so quick just to accept opinions and posts on Facebook and so on. And I think there needs to be more kindness. I I love what you said, empathy. So just my last thing here is we need to test and verify the information that we receive um, to counter prejudice and blind acceptance. But we need to test it. We need to verify it. Uh, So there was a guy who would give a prophetic statement to me sometimes, and he would say, test it. He would always say that test that what I've said, what I've said to you. Don't just take it. I thought that's good. that's a good approach, but I feel like we're not doing that enough. Thanks, guys.
0: I I just want to cap it off.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you guys have highlighted it's our
0: responsibility and calling as Christians to critically engage with media, to be different than how mainstream culture engages with media, and we can't be lazy about it. Right. Uh, and we need to approach everything with humility empathy, love, and respect. And you give us some very good practical pointers on how to critically engage with our media sources. Thanks for listening. I hope you had a good time and maybe even learned or were challenged by something. We know there's so much more to cover and acknowledge there are many other great perspectives and questions out there and want to hear from you. Go to firstnaz.ca slash podcast, click on the episode and scroll down to the bottom. You can leave a comment or question there or send us an email at mindthegap at firstnaz.ca. We will compile your questions and comments and go through them in a future episode. Now, let's go make Christ like disciples with a heart for God and passion for people.